We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We see the news that teen vaping's on the rise, but teens see something else. Internet videos that talk up fun flavors and downplay the dangers of nicotine. How can parents talk so kids will listen? Use facts. One. Nicotine can rewire teens' brains. Two, it can make kids more anxious. Three, changes to the brain can be permanent. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. You are listening to a very late edition of the Tuesday, January 2nd uh, edition of Road of His Radio. I'm Pat Corain on Twitter, at Pat Corain, and with me is Sean Siegel on Twitter, at FF underscore Contrarian. Sean, how's it going? Great. We wanted to start out tonight by congratulating Scott Frost and the Central Florida Knights, your 2017 national champions we're going to talk about this a little bit later with pete but it's always exciting to see the the mid-major team win a national title and uh, when we talk about it with pete later we go into star wars a little bit the connection between the two topics uh and we discover that the pat and pete number one don't actually watch star wars and secondly that i wasn't a huge fan of the most recent additions which hopefully that will not result in executive producer matthew friedman pulling the show (laughs) yeah so you know as you kind of discovered the the show gets a little off the rails because we have on uh our friend peter overzet uh we do talk about football of course uh specifically we really get into the um the FFFC playoff tournament, which is a really cool uh, playoff tournament where you pick one player from each team. Uh, it's like 3,500 entries, a, a big grand prize. So uh, that's uh, kind of what we get into with the uh, the heart of the conversation. And um, 
Uh, of course, we have some Pats talk since uh, since Pete's on. Anytime Pete's on, we got to talk to Pats. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Sean mentioned the, the conversation kind of uh, <laughs> goes into some other topics as well. Um, we are actually – be on the lookout here because this will be the first show to drop. But uh, kind of to make up for the late show this week and uh, not putting out a show last week given all of the holiday craziness, um, we are actually going to put out a second show um, with Blair Andrews, so covering uh, different topics, and so that show will be out shortly after this one drops. So kind of you get a, a bonus, uh, a bonus show this week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that, and uh, also be on the lookout for great content all off season from Rotaviz.com, uh, which uh, you can get a thirty percent discount to at the Rotaviz podcast homepage, uh, Rotaviz.com/podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium content. Also helps support this podcast, which you can also do by going to iTunes and rating, reviewing the show, subscribing to the show. Uh, you've got two options, the Rotoviz Radio feed or the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show feed, which is a little bit pared down with this show and just a couple others. Um, so, yeah, help us out. Support Rotoviz. Support us on iTunes. You can also contact us via Twitter at Rotoviz Radio or Gmail, rotovizradio at gmail.com. But yeah, let's get to Peter Overzet on Twitter at Peter Overzet. Please welcome to the show, Peter Overzet. He's uh, the host of Fantasyland, the man behind Pete Manzanelli. Uh, fairly frequent guest on this show as well. Um, Pete, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. You know, I was just out shoveling and snow blowing for the past four hours, and I got the message from you inviting me to hop on. So, uh, you know, I'm, it's nice to be uh, back to warmth, huddle, huddled around my computer uh, talking to you guys. <laughs> it is 75 and sunny here oh, in Tucson, Arizona. Are so. we allowed to say fuck off on this program? <laughs> in this case, yes. Okay, fuck off, Sean. <laughs> I'm in New York and it has been snowing all day. It finally stopped, but it's, yeah, I feel your pain, Pete. Um, yeah. All right. But, you know, Pete, as I mentioned, you, you've been, uh, you've been on the show several times here and you actually asked me if, you know, if, you got, if you're going to be coming on a lot, can we have a regular feature? Uh, so as promised, here's uh Pete's Pat's news. Uh, you'll be covering your favorite team here for us. Uh, just, just briefly here. Um, and you kind of wanted to cover some breaking Patriots news. So the, the first Pete's Pat's news is uh, pretty exciting, covering this uh, article, which is supposed to be dropping tomorrow, meaning Friday, as is probably when this podcast will post as well. So uh, breaking news about the Patriots and a rift between Brady and uh, ownership and coaching. Yeah, no, thank you for uh, for tossing that over to me. I was at uh, Foxborough today at 10.30 a.m. just to make sure everyone showed up to practice on time when Belichick wanted them to show up. So was uh, was making sure everyone was on time. But yeah, the, uh, the rumor is ESPN is readying a hit piece tomorrow on Belichick, Brady, and Robert Kraft. And uh, this sounds hilarious and made up, but apparently the topic is there is a power struggle among the trio as to who deserves the most credit for the dynasty. So some of the most 
talented owners, GMs, coaches, uh, and players of our generation are caught up on who deserves the credit. And uh, I guess the bombshell is that Brady went to Kraft to force Belichick to trade Jimmy G. Uh, and ESPN is planning a full day of promotion tomorrow for the article. So, uh, so some interesting stuff there. Do you guys have a take? Well, it seems like Kurt Warner and Mike Martz are probably most responsible for the dynasty. But but out of that group, Pat, that this trio, who do you who do you give the most credit to? Uh I give the most credit to Belichick, I guess, although I mean, I don't know. Like they're all lucky to have each other. I, I think Kraft is lucky as hell to have Belichick and Brady. I would give him like basically no credit. And uh or I mean, you know, as much credit as you can give an owner, which is low. And then Belichick and Brady, I think, are like probably the best two ever at their respective positions. So, um, like shut up and <laughs> get along would be kind of my attitude about it. Does it, Pete, does it, does it hurt Tom Brady at all that Matt Castle was so functional the year that, that Brady had to miss? Yeah, man. He's a, he's a system quarterback, uh, for sure. I, I mean, and now you see Jimmy Garoppolo though, and you can't help but wonder, uh, it, it does make sense that that Jimmy Garoppolo situation could have been the straw that broke the, stri- the camel's back with their relationship. Uh, and I am sure how good he's looking has put additional strain. And there's a lot of I told you so's uh, flying around there. But uh, yeah, it just seems so petty uh, from these guys who, you know, act like it's all about football. That's all that matters. It trumps everything. So it's nice to be reminded that they're petty humans and narcissists with giant egos as well. The thing that's strange is like once you change, once you trade Jimmy Garoppolo, you have to have this work for several years after it, or it's like a huge mistake. You know what I mean? Like if Brady and Belichick split up after this year, then you're crazy for having gotten rid of Garoppolo. If Brady plays like this for another two or three years, then it's like, well, what could we do? We're not going to franchise Garoppolo for two years in a row or something while we play Brady. So it's just given that you've already traded Garoppolo, this whole dynamic makes no sense. And it's even extra, it's even more petty than it already, than it would be if they hadn't done it. Yeah. And I guess we have to uh, reserve the right to wonder uh, how much of this story is, is fabricated and, and blown out of proportion by ESPN, getting people like us to uh, talk about it on podcasts and will definitely be a fun story to, uh, to take over wildcard weekend. So I guess it'll be interesting to see what the sources are, what the quotes are and how real uh, some of this rift is, but it, it definitely makes sense that the Garoppolo situation could have put a strain on those three. So Pete, we, we, we had you on tonight, obviously, because we needed the Pats update, but then secondarily, because you are our FFPC expert and, you know, having gone through the second year, really being ready to explode, uh, you know, like, like an old school receiver in, in year three, we had, we had Monty Fawn on the show a couple weeks ago, finished first overall in the FFPC regular season ninth overall in the postseason because in the highest team without Todd Gurley, which uh, may actually be the superior accomplishment to, to those top eight teams Uh, with his expertise as well. Now I feel like you guys are ready to build the perfect FFPC playoff lineup. 
Let me yeah, know. definitely. Oh, yeah. Can I, 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 Pat, I'm guessing you're going to do what I was going to do. And I just kind of wanted to remind listeners of kind of my FFPC resume and, and know why I am such an expert. Is that what you were going to do? <laughs> I was going to tell listeners about the FFPC challenge that we're going to be discussing, but go ahead and give them your credentials. Yeah, I just want to give my resume. So yeah, I've done two FFPC main events last year and this year and an FFC playoff challenge. Um, I believe I'm in uh, for 3,800, uh, zero winnings and have never made the playoffs uh, or sniffed 500, I don't think, in a league. <laughs> and Pete and I co-own all of our entries, so uh, that doubles as my credentials. Um, all right, let, let's just, so you know what we're talking about here, we're going to be discussing the FF. PC uh, playoff challenge. Uh, they're actually sponsoring this show, but um, Pete and I entered last year. Jake Rickroad and I had an entry together last year as well. We're also going to be entering this year, Pete and I. So um, I think Sean's going to throw one in. So it's it's a, a sponsorship here, but we're also participating. Um, but two hundred bucks enter, hundred thousand dollar grand prize, six hundred thousand total prize pool. Uh, they pay down to five hundred fiftieth place. Um, there's no salary cap, no draft. Basically you just pick 10 players, uh, to make up your roster. It's the FFPC style roster where you get, um, two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, a quarterback, two flexes, and it's tight end premium. But the catch is you can't just pick any, any 10 players you want. You're only allowed to use one player from each NFL team. So if Tom Brady's your quarterback, can't have any other Patriots, um, and that's the roster for the duration of the entire playoffs, including the Super Bowl. No changes, no substitutions. So you kind of got to factor in uh, which teams are going to make runs. Uh, you know, as you as you pick kind of your most important players, because um, if NFL teams get knocked out, so do your players. So the contest capped thirty five hundred total entries. It sells out every year. It's going to sell out again. So um, make sure you you sign up as soon as you listen to this. Uh, go to myffpc.com, uh, myffpc.com to get your team. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about it. I think. Oh yeah. Oh, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. I was just gonna mention one other thing uh, that there you do have of the ten spots a uh, kicker in defense as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Good point. Um. So yeah, I think what we did last year, and Pete, you sent over uh, the article that we actually wrote up last year. I don't know if we'll do this again, but um, we tried to guess the the actual ownership percentages of of every player that was sort of relevant in the field, um, and we we did pretty well last year. If anything, we probably underestimated who the chalk plays were going to be. Like we thought Ezekiel Elliott would be fifty five percent owned, he came in at eighty seven percent. Le'Veon Bell, we thought would be 65, came in at 79. Odell Beckham, top wide receiver, we thought would be 60%, came in at 79. Um, and then some other plays we were thought would be highly owned were highly owned, like Jordy Nelson, we guessed 50, came in at 52. Tom Brady, we guessed 50, came in at 47. So Travis Kelsey, we guessed 70, was, was owned by 70% of the field. So these chalky, the guys who you think will probably own by a high percentage of the field, they were owned by a very high percentage of the field last year. And so I think we can use that to think about um, who people are going to be on in this tournament this year. And, Pete, I wanted to throw it to you for uh, what you think the chalk lineup will be. We kind of went back and forth on this as we were looking to set our lineup. And it's, it's just kind of a, a good place to start because this is kind of like a GPP where you're looking to finish – first among 
3500 entry field i mean it basically is a gpp so um you you got to figure out where everyone else is likely to be Pete, yeah, start, us out, start us out by telling oh, us ahead. which two teams you're going to avoid completely. And then if that starts to uh, center you in on a lineup and if the defense and kicker are things you're looking at first or if they're the last pieces that you put together there. Yeah, and I think that the two teams you fade, I think also plays into taking a look at the chalk lineup. So yeah, I'll run down what I'm thinking and then maybe you guys can poke holes in some of my logic. I think the two teams that... I want to fade and I think everyone universally is going to want to fade are the Titans and Bills. I think people, if they are leaning on an upset, it's definitely going to come in the NFC with the Falcons or Panthers. And so people are going to be more inclined to use a player from those games. I think we will see very, very few uh, Titans and Bills used, which could definitely be interesting, especially maybe with a uh, Derrick Henry with DeMarco Murray out. Um, I think QB, I think like last year, we had projected Brady at around 50% ownership. That ended up being the case. He's not quite is dominant this year, and there are some other options, but I do think Brady will be the chalk uh, quarterback. I think the chalkiest player uh, across the entire contest will be Gurley. Last year, we had Ezekiel Elliott, as Pat mentioned, um, underestimated him. He was at 87%, and I think Gurley's even more of a smash play this year, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him 90% owned, uh, especially with their matchup against the Vikings in the second round could scare some people off. Um, of maybe some of the other options with Gurley being kind of the only solid uh, bet there. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, I think, is also going to be very chalky, especially with Antonio Brown uh, kind of up in the air. After that, it's either going with uh, Roethlisberger, and there's so many other good options, or Juju, which there's just some fragility there if AB comes back. I think Michael Thomas is going to be very chalky, primarily because I think people will want to avoid who to guess between uh, Ingram and Kamara. I don't necessarily think that's right because they both can have really good games uh, together, but I think that will draw people to Michael Thomas. I think Julio is going to be extremely chalky. You know, Freeman injury. uh, I guess maybe if Freeman sits, Tevin Coleman could be a, a sneaky good play, but with wide receiver a little thin overall, and you're looking to get one player from the Falcons who most people think is going to lose, I think we'll gravitate people to Julio. I'm running out of breath here. Kelsey, I think is going to be very chalky at tight end again. Obviously Gronk is there, but I'm, I'm assuming that Brady is going to pull ownership away from Gronk. And then Fournette, another kind of funnel uh, player on the Jags, all the wide receivers. It's kind of a mess. People aren't going to want to use Bortles. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Fournette is 80 to 90% owned. And then the last flex spot I have is a Viking. I think it's going to be Thielen. He's just had such a great year. Uh, you know, people don't, in a PPR format, don't get super excited about owning Latavius. You know, you could make an argument for maybe Rudolph if you're pivoting off the tight ends. But yeah, Thielen, I think, will be high owned. And then that leaves us with a Panther and uh, an Eagle. And I have Eagles D as a chalk play and Graham Gano as the Panthers kicker, since you do have to use a kicker from one of those 10 teams. Uh, so yeah, that would be my chalk lineup. I have talked too much, poke holes in my theories. I think that's the ideal lineup. And one of the things you didn't mention, but obviously as, as people are listening along there, they can tell that that lineup will actually uh, fulfill the lineup requirements. 
too, which which is important. That gives you a quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, and then two more running backs to play in the flex positions, which almost certainly is the way to go based on these specific playoff teams that we have. And then also the lineup you put together there assumes I think that the Eagles lose behind Nick Foles, which considering the strength of either opponent that they would get uh, is much more likely than it would have been previously, obviously with Carson Wentz. So that's the lineup that people are going to want to go with. I think that one sort of easy little way that you could differentiate and still maintain exposure to all those top players would be just a drop down to Stefan Diggs. Uh, but, but that's the lineup. And so my question then would be, how much do you need to diversify? Because we can look at all of these individual players and say they're going to be very highly owned. How high owned will a lineup that just includes all of the chalk plays be? I mean, someone's going to have it. I would be, I would be shocked if, you know, it was unique. And then I think the thing is that like, um, we talked, you know, I, uh, Pete really hammered on and Gurley and Bell is, is going to be really highly owned. And I think, I, I agree. I think Gurley's going to be like 90% owned. I think Bell's probably going to be 80% owned, particularly if the Brown news is bad. No one, I, I don't think Roethlisberger is, is going to be too high, uh, highly owned of a play, which really puts you on Bell unless you want to just take your chances with, with like a Brown or a Juju play. So, um, so I, I really agree there, but I think Julio he could be like 90% owned too, because I think if, if you're going girly, then Julio is just sort of like kind of a nice hedge play. Like he's the obvious play on the Falcons, but if you end up losing girly, at least you have Julio um, in what was probably a high scoring game in round one. And then you have him going forward. So um, I think people are going to really struggle not to pick Julio um, and basically just bank on a, a big first game. So all this to say, I think if you have that exact lineup, you're going to have trouble um, differentiating basically like that. It's not just that that exact lineup will probably be in the tournament. It's that lineups that look almost like that lineup are going to be in the tournament all over the place. So one of the first changes you could make is you could switch your Patriots and Chiefs players and go from Brady to Smith and Kelsey to Gronkowski. And what that would do for you, and we all know that what the players score during the regular season doesn't necessarily uh, project what they'll do in the playoffs next season, what have you. But Smith actually outscored Brady and Gronkowski outscored Kelsey on a per game basis. So in theory, you might have a little bit of a higher upside there. The concern people are going to have is that the reason you choose Brady in the first place is that you want to have exposure to a quarterback in most cases, the highest scoring position in the Super Bowl where you get double points and the Chiefs and Alex Smith are, are much less likely to get there. However, in this particular case and with the FFPC settings, the tight ends score enough points that, you know, Kelsey Gronkowski, those two guys are not that far off of these two quarterbacks in in terms of the points that they score. So that would be an easy tweak that you could make if you have Gronkowski the Patriots make it to the Super Bowl. In most cases, you'd be disappointed to have a tight end going in the double points game, but his upside is so high that that's less of a consideration here. 
Oh, yeah. And I just wanted to uh, reiterate what Sean just said, because I don't think we had mentioned that yet, that that is one of the other scoring wrinkles is in the Super Bowl, all your players points uh, are counted double. So, you know, that definitely, like Sean said, you would normally, I think conventionally, maybe lean quarterback there, but with the 1.5, Gronk definitely makes sense. And I guess that's another angle we haven't really discussed yet is, you know, Traditionally, in these leagues, you're looking to get the most amount of games, you know, trying to get the teams that are going to make it to the Super Bowl, preferably a wildcard team that gets four games. Uh, so I guess that's another, you know, thing to discuss. And as you mentioned, Sean, with if you do make that pivot with Alex Smith and then they go and play the Patriots in round two, you know, you could be looking at just a maximum uh, of two games from them. What are, what are your guys' kind of Super Bowl predictions right now? And maybe that will help us backtrack and inform some of these picks. Go ahead, Sean, because I know um, it kind of sets up for a, for another pivot that we both like uh, in the, at the running back position. Yeah, so in the NFC, due to some things we've already talked about and just the strength of the Saints and the Rams, which some... Um, stat-based evaluations actually have as the two best teams in the NFL. I like those teams to make it to the NFC Championship game and then obviously one of them moving forward to the Super Bowl. So in that particular instance, you've got two different things going on. You've got the potential for one of the players off of those teams to get the double points in the Super Bowl, obviously, but then both of those teams are wildcard teams, so you're getting an extra game from that player. And that's why in terms of setting the lineup, what I wouldn't want to pivot off of is Kamara and Gurley with their extreme ceilings and the potential that they're setting up for so many games and the double point game. Yeah. And that's the, you know, Pat and I have talked about, you know, is there a leverage play off of Gurley? You know, we've tossed golf around, but it, it is a good point of just that ceiling that Gurley gives you access to how much ground could you gain with Goff, uh, and what what scenarios would Goff outperform Gurley, and they still go far? I guess it is definitely having me rethink it. And then on top of that, the fact that they play at Minnesota uh, in the second round, if if they win, and I guess that's the question of you know Sean. I think makes a good point of, you know, what are the points that you just don't want to throw away and making sure that where you are making pivots that it, it makes sense. Like a, a Brady to Gronkowski, you might, you're probably not losing a ton of uh, potential points. Whereas maybe if we're going from a girly to golf or some of these others, you are, where, where are you at with that Pat, knowing that we have discussed maybe a golf pivot? Yeah, I think, um, well, the thing that kind of comes to me is that um, if you do go with Gurley and Kamara, then um, I think you need to pivot off of Bell, and and that is an interesting question because uh, Pete in the in the chalk lineup that you laid out, I think the one thing that might um, that might not happen is is maybe Michael Thomas could be a little bit less owned than we're thinking because. If you do want to go with four running backs, and as Sean mentioned, maybe that is the the way to go. Um, you can easily do uh, Bell, Kamara, Gurley, Fournette, and still get your two wide receivers with Thielen and Julio. So Michael Thomas could lose ownership to Kamara, and then people are still going Gurley and Bell. Um, so my feeling is, if you have the construction that Sean 
you know, really wants to go with here, Kamara and Gurley as your two kind of core running backs, then I think you'll have to move off Bell, who, as we talked about, it's like probably somewhere between 80 and 90% ownership. Um, and, and I guess the question is, how do you do that? Are you willing to um, bet that Brown comes back? Do you just go with Juju, who we definitely know is going to play? Because this lineup's going to lock before the first playoff game, uh, you know, a week before we'll know about Brown. Um, or, you know, is Roethlisberger even in the mix as someone who could be a quarterback in the Super Bowl? And then you could have, uh, like, you could go a Gronk. You could go with Gronk and Roethlisberger and, uh, you know, bet on one of those two guys to be in your Super Bowl against Kamara and Gurley. Yeah, it makes me wonder. I think quarterback really starts to, assuming you want to get away from the Brady chalk, I think quarterback might be where you really start to differentiate yourself. The more we talk about it too, you, I wonder if, if Breeze might be, you know, a sneaky good play in that you, you're getting access to a lot of Kamara and obviously all of Thomas's production and then it gets you unique in some of those other spots. But yeah, it, it is, the more we talk about it, I, I don't know if it's possible to avoid Gurley. And then going back to that, I mean, I think you got to project Mark Ingram for not too few, fewer points than Kamara. So maybe Ingram, maybe Ingram's the smash pivot that we're, we're not discussing. The other option that I think becomes kind of interesting once you're talking about moving off of the ideal play, and especially if we're saying we want to move off of Le'Veon Bell, would be to go to Juju Smith-Schuster. And he's a player, again, with just massive upside, especially if Antonio Brown doesn't play. So if they go out there, the opposing defenses are saying, you know, we're going to stop Le'Veon Bell, take that away, make them throw because Antonio Brown is either not playing or is limited, which is probably the most likely scenario based on what we know. Then Juju Smith-Schuster goes out there again as someone who could easily put up 10 catches, 170 yards, and a couple of touchdowns. And I say easily, that's obviously not the most likely result, but it's certainly a possible result based on what we've seen from him recently and you know, paired up with a solid quarterback in Roethlisberger. The other thing you could do is move to Tyreek Hill as another wide receiver option, someone who has this huge single game upside where he could catch a long touchdown pass, could potentially score in multiple ways and give you that big game. And then the chiefs are eliminated. So if you're thinking chiefs go down, then he'll maybe gives you a couple of burst points. And if we want to then again, move off the ideal lineup, we can move from Julio Jones to Devontae Freeman who has recently been on fire. Yeah, was uh, was Freeman back at practice? I know his status was still up in the air, which could complicate things. Oh, it looks like he wasn't listed on the injury report. So yeah, I guess I guess Freeman uh, is definitely in play uh, as a pivot there. And yeah, considering how much ownership we thought Julio would get, I think that uh, that definitely makes sense. Um, so Sean, did I? Do you have it as um, a Pat's? I know you like uh, Saints and the Rams, and then I, is it Pats and Jags or Pats and Steelers for you? I, I think even with Antonio Brown potentially limited, that you're still looking at the Steelers. The Jaguars defeated Pittsburgh early in the season and, and made Roethlisberger look awfully bad. But I think that the two 
the two teams that you're looking at the most likely in the AFC are those two teams, the the one and two seeds. And then like we talked about in the NFC. And so I think that that's how my roster sets up with the idea of, you know, how do we get exposure to the sort of safe plays with the Steelers and Patriots, uh, but go with Saints and Rams as the players we think could end up being the real um, tournament winner. Yeah. And I, the more I look at this too, the more I think Fournette might even be right there with girly ownership because who else are you even, I guess maybe people could be drawn to taking the Jags defense just because that's the other one people will do. Yeah. So I guess that could keep Fournette's down a little, but I couldn't even see that slipping to more than say like 75% Fournette, 25% Jags D. Right. Because if you go Jags D, then you can uh, go with Ertz at tight end for the Eagles, which would give you, that's like the one spot where maybe you can count on production there. So uh, on that offense, I I don't think that'll be the chalk play, but I think um, some people will make that pivot. So that'll keep Fournette's ownership down a little. It's especially difficult to get away from him when he actually is going to have a very good matchup in that initial game, which is guaranteed. And then assuming they move on a very good matchup in the second game. So if you assume the Jaguars play two games, if both of those are very pro four net matchups, it's difficult to move away from that. I think if we had a clearer picture of what the Jaguars wide receivers were going to look like in terms of health, then it would be pretty compelling to make that your spot where you move away. We've seen, you know, huge target shares for Westbrook. We've seen huge target shares for Keelan Cole, and we've seen them have some situations where they really capitalized on that, especially with Cole. So if you had a better sense of where Alan Hearns was, of where Marquise Lee was, and knew that they were going to be a Cole and Westbrook heavy lineup, then then that would be, get pretty interesting. But because we don't know that, and then going back with Fournette's matchup, it's it's a much more difficult play. Yeah, I don't think you can touch any of the Jags wide receivers, which is really going to push people to Fournette. Um, so I suppose, and no one's going to touch Bortles. <laughs> so I think it'll be... Um, and when we look at the ownership percentage last year of the quarterbacks, uh, there, weren't, there wasn't much interest in like lower... There wasn't much interest in kind of the lower-ranged quarterbacks... Um, there were basically like four plays and, and most of the ownership was concentrated around three guys uh, in the field. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Matt Ryan were, were the only guys above 10% last year. And, you know, I think that makes sense. Obviously Brady, you know, the Patriots ended up winning the Super Bowl and facing off against the Falcons. So those were kind of those Super Bowl, I want a quarterback in the Super Bowl picks. And then Aaron Rodgers was kind of similar to the Gurley Camara plays this year where you're getting that extra game because they were in the wild card round. And, you know, if they make it all the way to the Super Bowl, you get your double points. But uh, so I, I think that make does make quarterback a little bit interesting as a differentiation spot because you know that probably the, the field is going to cluster around those top guys. So it'll probably be Brady. Um, I think we'll see some Roethlisberger just given the likelihood of them making the playoffs. And then I guess one guy we haven't talked about, um, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on, would be Keenum, Case Keenum, because the Vikings are the favorite, uh, you know, according to Vegas, to come out of the NFC. Um, so I would guess that just for that reason alone, some people might be interested in Keenum. Um, also, that 
Thielen hasn't been quite as dominant over Diggs uh, to end the season, so he's not as comfortable play as he would have been like four weeks ago. Uh, do you think Keenum will will have some ownership in the tournament, and what do you think of him as a play? Pete, you had mentioned this as, as one of the plays that you guys are considering. G- give us the, the pro-Keenum outlook here as as you're putting together your team. Yeah, I think the outlook is um, – is all about their the path. You know, they get a home game uh, and against you know most likely the Rams. Uh, that could be a, a tough spot from. They beat the Rams, I believe, earlier uh, this season. Uh, am I making that up? I'm pretty sure they did. Uh, no, I believe they did. Yeah, so they'll be feeling good about that. And then on the other side, if they get past the Rams at home, then you're you're going on the road to Philadelphia, but you're going against not a Carson Wentz led Eagles team. So I think, or you have the Saints at home, or the Saints at home, right? So I think the the path is realistic. None of those teams look like juggernauts. The best team is probably the Rams, and you'd be getting them at home. So I think that's the story you tell yourself about the about the Vikings. And then on top of that, knowing that the ownership might be really concentrated on Thielen. So if you know you could get them to the Super Bowl, everyone's on Thielen, all of a sudden you pivot to Keenum and you get access to, you know, Kyle Rudolph points, Jarek McKinnon points, as you mentioned, Stefan Diggs points. So I definitely think there's some merit to that if you think they can make it to the Super Bowl. The interesting thing about Keenum is that he has made Adam Thielen a fantasy star and Kyle Rudolph a very playable tight end. Even with Stephon Diggs being a little bit disappointing, still a a solid wide receiver too. And yet Keenum himself has not been that high scoring a player, in part because he's not adding anything with the legs and in part because they don't have a lot of peripheral stats that the number three, number four wide receivers are getting. He only has two games this season where he had more than two touchdowns. Now he has a lot of games with two touchdowns. So he's a a very good floor play, I think. And it does set up nicely in terms of no longer having the Eagles out there as this really scary team. That doesn't mean that Nick Foles couldn't lead the Eagles to victory because Nick Foles is not a bad quarterback in his own right. And that's a very loaded team. But if you assume that they're going to win the first game, get to host the NFC championship game in a dome, then suddenly he looks like a very solid, if still you know difficult to, to get behind emotionally kind of play. My favorite play that we've mentioned at quarterback and, and Sean, this was, uh, your mention here was Alex Smith just going, you know, looking at the ownership percentage again, it's like, I think that percentage of Alex Smith ownership will be really low because if you don't go, um, Kelsey, then you might go Hill because you wanted to get like a Freeman involved instead of Julio. And so you need another wide receiver, uh, or you might go Kareem hunt. Um, so I think that Smith is probably the fourth highest owned chief, and Kelsey is going to be very highly owned to start with. So I think he's going to be really low owned. And as you mentioned, um, Sean, you might not be giving up that much in terms of, of scoring. And hell, there is a chance they make the Super Bowl. And if not, you might have someone like Gronk or Bell in there. Yeah, I think the hard thing for me is I think my favorite play in this entire challenge right now is Kareem Hunt. 
I think because of the guys we mentioned kind of in that order, Kelsey, Hill, Smith, that he is going to draw fairly low ownership, especially relative to the other running backs. His usage ever since they made the, the play calling change at coordinator has been extremely high uh, against the Titans. You have to think at home with their, with that spread, he's going to get a ton of run. Uh, so yeah, I, I just really like Hunt to the point where if you tell me he's going to be low owned and that usage is going to be there, I don't know if I can get on someone else on the chiefs. And I'm not as big a fan of looking at previous game between two teams and saying, you know, this is going to really inform what happens in the next game as, as some people might be, but it is interesting that the chiefs went to New England and blew them out to start the season. They had a similar blowout victory a couple years ago um, at home against the Patriots and their playoff game a couple years ago was very competitive, which obviously the Patriots are still going to be the strong favorites there, but the chiefs might match up nicely against New England. And certainly they were so bad during that middle stretch of the season that if, if you watch those games and saw them struggle on offense and they're frankly just not a very good team on defense, then it makes you, it makes it a lot more difficult to, invest in chiefs players in a way where you're really banking on them to make it all the way to the super bowl but that's certainly a decent possibility i think with the way this particular playoff bracket is constructed yeah and the patriots are going to be completely crumbling uh, in terms of their team chemistry by the time the chiefs play them so they have that to their advantage as well um all right any any uh last thoughts on on plays or guys that we didn't mention before we wrap things up Let's just make sure are we all on board with Graham Gano at kicker. <laughs> yeah, talk about 90% ownership. I mean, is there any other kicker play in this tournament but Graham Gano? I, lo- uh, I guess if, if you really like the Panthers, maybe, but. What do you th- Sean, what do you think about the Gostowski pivot at kicker? <laughs> that's, that's probably not not the direction I go there. But again, you know, Chiefs fans, that that uh, that Kansas City juggernaut is is rolling through, and and uh, just just make sure you you have a, a Chiefs centric lineup if you if you want to win this tournament. Right. Pete, before we let, we let you go, I uh, I wanted to ask on a scale of one to negative one hundred, how excited are you for Alabama Georgia in the fake national championship game? Well. It would normally be negative 100, but hey, uh, Pat, is my bookie sponsoring this episode? I don't think they are, so. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was going to give my bookie a free plug, but once I put. Give them a plug. They sponsored all Yeah, once I, once I place my big bet on mybookie.com, use referral code RVRADIO, uh, I might be moving up into the uh, 15 to 20 range. That, uh. The, the game on Saturday uh, at the Rose Bowl, that was one of the funnest games I'd watched in a long time. So I would say I went from a negative 100 up into the positives uh, after that game. Is, is Georgia going to be able to run the ball the same way? Not the same way, but are they going to be able to run the ball at all against Alabama? Uh, I, I know a couple players on Georgia that play running back. I believe one is named Nick Chubb and the other is named Sonny Michael, Sonny Michelle. Uh, so yeah, they seem to have a great two headed, uh, attack. Uh, I think they'll really be able to kind of slice and dice their way. <laughs> I can't take myself seriously. <laughs> In, yeah, watch out for Sonny Michaels. He's a, he's a beast. <laughs> what, Sean, why don't you give us the, some real analysis on this game? Well, we uh, 
we discussed how the real national champion is obviously Central Florida. And one of the things I I struggle with a little bit because I, I see it misused so frequently is this idea of the eyeball test. Because it, it seems like it's employed almost entirely to suggest that the mid-major team uh, is not as good, which my assumption would be that it it would be used to say, okay, this team has Traquan Smith. This team that Scott Frost has put together is scoring at will. They have speed all over, which obviously was the big story that that Auburn was not going to be ready for that. And and it turned out that they weren't. So it, is the eyeball test being used correctly in, in our common parlance? Uh, yeah, I was really hoping that was a rhetorical question that you just wanted to kind of linger <laughs> in the air shot. <laughs> so, so Pete, compare compare for us um, <laughs> what in terms of of like the greatest hate watching events of the 2017-2018 uh, transition here: uh, fake national championship game versus the current Star Wars movie. Uh, I haven't. I'm not a big Star Wars head. In fact, I haven't seen the new one. I haven't seen the one from. I haven't seen the new one either. Or I haven't seen the one from two years ago. Uh, oh wow! So yeah, I'm a I'm a true I'm a true hater in that I haven't even seen it. But so I don't know if maybe I should start calling it the fake Star Wars movie, like you're calling it the fake <laughs> national championship game. Sean, I love this dynamic of you just uh, spitting hot takes about things Pete and I have not seen. <laughs> Did you like the the new Star Wars, Sean? I, I also bait. haven't seen it because the 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 people that I normally go to the movies with, uh, they're boycotting because it, I don't know if you saw. Well, it sounds like you guys didn't see Rogue One, but in that one we had basically um, everyone get killed to accomplish this somewhat absurd mission. And I saw it in Jeez, 3D. Spoiler alert, Sean. Spoilers for Rogue Spoilers for Rogue Spoiler, Rogue goodness. <laughs> well, that's, I don't, one of the things that you can, can't. you can guarantee in a Star Wars movie is that billions of people are going to die. And so I don't, I mean, I don't think that's giving anything away to say that there's going to be a super weapon that completely envelops the rest of the plot and makes everything the individual humans are doing absurd. But then in the previous Star Wars film, we had a ultra bad guy Jedi struggle in a lightsaber battle against a common stormtrooper. And so uh, there have been some some potential weaknesses. And and so anyway, the, the, the folks that I get to go to the movies with are, are currently boycotting this one. It has had a huge effect in that only like 700 million the first weekend. So by by keeping our fifteen dollars out of there, that uh, that that's definitely stopped stopped the Star Wars train. So, well, Sean, I just I want to say uh, you're already a fairly mysterious guy, but on top of this, you you have a group of friends that you sit around and talk about the fake national championship game with, and another group of friends that you guys collectively had decided to boycott a movie <laughs> that you routinely go to the theaters with. You are you are a fascinating man. Well, the the. <laughs> One of those two groups is also boycotting college football because we we have this tournament committee, which ruins ruins basically the entire NCAA experience. So this this is maybe not a bad time to throw in the fact that in last year's college softball national tournament, Minnesota was ranked number one in the country and was not given one of the top 16 seats. 
a year ago, obviously, Wichita State was top 10 in the Ken Palm rankings, which everyone knows are the official rankings, uh, men's college basketball, and got like a 10 seed, which is equivalent of being ranked 40th. So we we have some problems here that are leading to some some boycotting of the NCAA as well. All right. Well, you know, people are going to be a little bit bummed that this episode came out late, but we have softball hot takes, so I think that more than makes up for it. Uh, <laughs> Pete, uh, thanks so much for joining us, man. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, and I'd just like to say, uh, if you guys don't know, the Pats are on by this week. Uh, they earned it. They definitely did. They were out practicing today, and they will be back in action next week, uh, hopefully hosting the Kansas City Chiefs so we can get revenge on that awful first game of the season. I've been tilted ever since. Is that going to be uh, CBS, Fox? Where, where can people tune in? Uh, uh, CBS. CBS, yep. CBS, all right, great. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash radio. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.